finished off a, a message series. We walked through the book of Galatians, and this weekend we kind of turn the page to another one of Paul's letters to the Ephesians, and we're going to focus in chapter 6 because we're going to, for the next several weeks leading up to Easter, look at the armor of God, talking about the spiritual warfare that we are all engaged in, whether we realize it or not. And uh, we're, we'll look at each piece of God's armor for our lives. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be in our, our entire time uh, this morning and really over the next several weeks as we pick apart these verses and learn together uh, what this can look like. But we, we know that we're in a battle. And la- the last couple weeks, we talked about a battle that's within us. And I always say, man, it's I can do fine just without Satan's help. I can mess things up uh, just fine and well all by myself, right? But, the, but we really do have an enemy. And we want to look at what God's Word has to say about that enemy and how we prepare ourselves for battle. And to kind of get some background, the letter to the Ephesians um, that we find in our Bibles, the, the first three chapters is really heavy on theology. That is the study of God. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What do we believe? Why do we believe? Uh, how Jesus is the one that brings peace between God and humanity. So heavy on theology. But then once you step into chapters four through six, it's heavy on application. It's, it's how do the, we then live our lives out as followers of Jesus. In fact, in chapter 4, we begin to see this word pop up several times at several moments throughout the next chapters. Uh, it's the word walk. Some, some Bible versions translate it directly walk. Some other Bible versions, like the New Living Translation, translate it, translates it live or live out. Um, It's where we get the phrase, you know, walk it out, live it out. It's application. It's how do we do this? How do we live this in our everyday life? But what's interesting is Paul shifts then at the beginning of chapter 6 from this idea of walking, living it out, to a new word. And it's the word stand. Stand. And it's not just, you know, stand in place. It's not just stand your ground. It's stand your ground against the attacks of the enemy. And so today we're primarily going to look um, at, at a couple verses. And before we dive into looking at the armor of God, we want to just kind of look at the landscape of spiritual warfare. Now, the truth is, uh, many of us, especially like in our kind of more conservative circles, um, there, there are some that probably give the devil too much credit. And like, like it seems like their whole focus is on the devil and the enemy. And like, uh, and yet, for many of us, there's probably far too little focus. And we forget that the enemy is real. And that the devil is, as the Bible says, seeking for somebody to absolutely devour. And so we want to understand his schemes a little bit better. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, where we'll spend most of our time today. This is what Paul writes. He says, a final word... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand. Right? There's the word. Stand firm, he says, against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers 
in this dark world, he says, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. So we want to learn how to stand firm and in order to do that, you know, in, in, in any good sports team, um, especially like you take uh, football, NFL, um, collegiate, even high school, um, I know some high school coaches locally that, you know, on Sunday afternoons, they're, what are they doing? They're watching film, right? They're studying the opponent in order to better prepare for the game that they're going into or to learn from their own mistakes and mishaps on the field, And I think the text gives us a picture of who Satan is and this army that he's working with, and we can learn something about his strategies against us. And the first thing that we realize from the text is that the devil is the lead enemy, okay? He's a real and personal being. Uh, The the word devil is sometimes translated as Satan. In fact, in the the original Hebrew, in the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's translated Satan, and it's a, it's a Hebrew word that means traitor or deceiver or adversary. Throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture, there's multiple um, other titles that are given to Satan. He's known uh, in the book of Genesis as the serpent. He's known as the tempter. He's labeled as the wicked one. He's known as the great deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He's known as the ruler Of this world, he's known as the prince of the power of the air. And in the book of Revelation, seven different times, he's known as the dragon. Okay, not not your friendly Spider-Man. Okay, not not somebody that is on our side. Someone that is seeking to take down followers of Jesus and get in the way of our relationship with God. In fact, the, the New Testament word that's used in Ephesians chapter 6 is the word diabolos, which is translated as devil. It literally means one who throws between. So if you've ever heard the phrase of, oh, they threw a monkey wrench into that, that's where we get that phrase. And, and man, it's, not, it's a whole lot worse than a monkey wrench. <laughs> Satan is actively trying to throw things in between. First and foremost, in between humanity and God. That has been the storyline of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Satan is trying to keep humanity from having a right, restored, healthy relationship with the God who created them. Not only that, Satan is continuing to throw monkey wrenches in all kinds of places. I mean, we just talked about our upcoming marriage conference, and if there's a place where the enemy will attack us, it's in our closest of relationships, and he's, he's actively trying to throw something in between husbands and wives. He's actively trying to break up relationships, throw something in between uh, parents and their kids or grandparents and their grandkids. He's actively trying to throw something in between uh, our, our, our effectiveness as workers, as friends, as followers of Jesus. He's actively trying to throw something in between us and God's purpose for our lives to dissuade us. And he's certainly trying to keep those that have never even yet believed in Jesus. He's trying to throw something in between so that they'll never turn to Jesus. 
a Savior and Lord. He's a real personal being. And the text enunciates this as well as the rest of the New Testament teaching. Second thing that we learn from the text is that the devil leads an army, an army of demons and powers, and they're known to be powerful. In fact, that's what the text says. We're up against not flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, and he says, against mighty powers in this dark world. It's true that Satan is powerful. I don't understand it all, and, and I don't know that I really agree with it all, but Satan has been given some reign and some freedom and some power in this world, and he uses it. And he looks to come between us and God, and he looks to come between us and our relationships. And he's powerful. He's at work. He, he, he's, he's making his way into our lives subtly and then powerfully goes after us, hits us in, in our weakest moments and in our own propensities in order to pull us away from God's plan for a life. He is a powerful being. But the devil also leads an army that is known for being outright evil or wicked. That's what the text tells us, that we're up against evil spirits, fallen spirits, fallen angels that have become demons and do the bidding of the devil himself. And it's like, uh, well, John Stott puts it this way. He says this about these demons and the devil himself. They have no moral code, no principle of honor, no higher feelings. Whereas at least with humanity, maybe there's left traces in all of us, marks of the image of God in us, so that even if a person doesn't know Jesus, they might still have some semblance of right and wrong, of kindness or of love. But when it comes to the devil and his army, there is none of that. So we can't look for mercy. We can't look for compassion. We can only expect attack and anger and divisiveness seeking to pull us away. Not only that, the, the, the text teaches us that the devil leads an army known for being cunning. In fact, Here's how the text puts it. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, if you, if you heard this verse, maybe in the King James Version, it says, uh, and stand firm against all the wiles of the devil. I don't even use that word. Do you? I mean, I, when was the last time you were, used the word wiles in your everyday vocabulary? That's why they translate it a little bit differently. Um, think about uh, how many of you grew up watching Bugs Bunny. And do you remember one of his greatest adversaries? What was his name? Wiley Coyote, right? And, and, and in every episode, like uh, Wiley Coyote is just like strategizing and planning a way to get rid of Bugs Bunny. I mean, there's rocks dropping off of cliffs right onto Bugs Bunny, but somehow, somehow he lives. I mean, it's not just cats, I guess, that have nine lives. Bugs Bunny did as well, right? Um, I mean, cats shouldn't get nine lives. Bunnies, maybe. I mean, sorry, I'm not a cat lover. Uh, <laughs> But what we, know, what we know about the devil is it's much, much worse than Wiley e. Coyote. It says that he's strategizing against you and I. Just, just like I, was, I mentioned earlier, you know, a good football team, they, they, they study, right, the films. They, they watch 
their opponent. Uh, They look for their weaknesses, and then they attack. And the Bible describes the enemy of our soul as one who is strategizing, perhaps watching the film of our lives, (laughs) looking for our weak spots, looking for where we might be tempted, where we might be drawn astray. And then he goes after us. He attacks. So the, 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 the devil is a real and personal being that is not on our side. For all of history, he's been trying to throw something in between. And he's not messing around. And he's coming after us to, to pull us away, and he's trying to dissuade people from ever turning to Jesus in the first place. And the other thing that we realize from the text is that the devil leads an army that is also unseen. Now, you guys all, you see me up here on the stage. I see you in living color here. Um, but in this room, there, there's air, and we can't see it, and yet that air is just as real as you are and as I am. We can't see it. Once in a while, we might hard to feel it, but it's very, very real. And this is the hard thing when it comes to this idea, this concept of spiritual warfare. Like, I get it when you go out onto the field and there's an opponent there, or, or somebody walks up to you in a dark alley and you know that you've got a, an enemy coming at you that you can see, feel, touch, swing at, right? Defend yourself against. But how do we fight the war when it comes to someone, something, that we cannot even see. My son was watching um, a movie the other day. It's called The Tooth Fairy, and it's with The Rock, you know, The Rock. And, like, there's one point in the, in the, in the movie where they're playing um, hockey, and The Rock takes a special pill because he's the tooth fairy, and he's invisible, and then he goes out on the ice, and, like, so guys are getting checked on the ice up against the boards, but they don't see him coming because he's invisible, <laughs> And the enemy of our soul is, is sneaky, suspicious, and invisible. So how do, we, how do we wage that war? I mean, Paul says about these evil rulers and authorities that they're living in the unseen world and that we're up against mighty powers in this dark world. So for just a minute, I want us to think about that spiritual realm that... Honestly, oftentimes we really don't think about. I mean, this is the here and now where you and I live. This is what we're kind of focused on. And yet the Bible teaches that there is a whole other realm. In his book, uh, Spiritual Warfare, Timothy Warner, he uh, draws kind of a, a diagram that's oversimplified, but I think it will help us better understand and then better engage this spiritual component of our life where this war is actually happening. So when it comes to these the spiritual realms, first of all, we call what is the realm of God. That's heaven. That's, where, that's God's domain. It's where he lives and abides and where everything happens exactly accordingly and perfectly towards his will. But then we have the realm of people. That's where you and I live, here on this earth. And, and our world, this realm, is filled with two kinds of people, either those that have believed in Jesus and those that have not. 
That's, that's really the only two kinds of people. I mean, of course, we're different. We're from different places, and we have different color skin, and we have uh, different occupations. There's all kinds of differences about us. But at the end of the day, the thing that really matters the most in the here and now and for eternity is what we believe about Jesus. And so there are those that have believed, and that the room here is filled with many that have put their faith in Christ but there's also those that have not yet believed. And there may be those here this weekend, and you're like, man, what is, what is this wacky stuff they're talking about? Spiritual warfare and demons and, and, uh, and uh, other realms. And, but, and yet this is a part of the reality of the Christian life. Somebody put it this way. They said, listen, in the Christian life, it's not a playground. It is a battleground. It doesn't mean that the Christian life isn't fun. No, it, actually, it's, it's incredible, and it can be thrilling, but it's also a battle, and we have a real enemy. So in, in between, uh, kind of, we have the Holy Spirit who's at work in the life of the believer. And then we have the, what the Bible calls the heavenly realms. This is what Paul is kind of talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. And he talks about this other world where there are angels and where there are demons. And this is this other realm that... Sometimes it's hard for us to kind of grasp, and yet the angels, in fact, when you read the whole of Scripture and you look at everything that it has to say about the work of angels, they, they're, the, the, in fact, the word angel means messenger. They're messengers for God and to people. They do the bidding of God. They're servants of God, and so uh, they, they serve Him, but the Bible says that they serve us. In fact, some people believe that every person has their own special angel. And whether that's true or not, I can't say for certain. But what is certain is that God uses his angels to enter into this world on behalf of believers. In fact, the Bible says that some of us have entertained angels unknowingly when they'd served us or cared for us. But then in the heavenly realm, we also have the devil himself and demons. And they are there to throw something in between. <laughs> they're, they're trying to keep the unbeliever from ever putting faith in Jesus. And probably you have friends, coworkers, neighbors, people that uh, perhaps even have been wounded by the church. And, you know, man, Satan just prowls on that. And he'll, he will use that to keep people from ever giving God a chance again or giving church a, ch a chance again. That's why it's so incredibly important for us to be salt and light, to, for us to be love and grace out there in our workplaces, in our world, because there are many people that are never going to step foot through the doors of a church because they've been hurt by the church, and Satan has capitalized on that. And so, so you may be the only Jesus that somebody else ever really sees. Your love, your compassion, your grace, your mercy your kindness, it's critical because Satan's trying to throw something in between those that haven't met Jesus yet and the God that loves them. And then when it comes to us as believers, you better believe that Satan is looking to take us down, to take you down. He's on the prowl. He wants to throw something in between God's purposes for our lives. 
I feel like that with uh, the situation with our son Carter. I know there's some physical things going on. I know that there's some, um, some cognitive, uh, neurological things going on, but I know that there are some spiritual things going on. Do you know when all of this illness for Carter started? Just a few months after he was baptized. After he took a stand for Jesus and went public with his faith and said, I'm going to follow him all, the, all of my days. And he's been under attack ever since. Why? Yeah, he's, he's got something wrong with him. He has an autoimmune disease. And, but why? Because Satan does not want to see Carter fulfill his purpose in this world. He's a unique, incredible young man that's so smart and so compassionate and loves Jesus. And Satan is trying to throw something in between. And he's doing the same in your life, whether we realize it or not, and he's trying to get at us. But the great thing is that God has not left us uh, with, 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 with a gap when it comes to understanding these things. It's why Paul gives instruction to the Ephesians, and he shares it with you and I as well. It's why he says, be strong. Be strong what? In yourself? No. That, 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 that strength has run out a long time ago. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so then he says, put on the whole armor of God. If there's a spiritual battle, we're going to need spiritual armor. And over the next several weeks, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the belt of truth. We're going to look at the breastplate of of righteousness. We're going to discover the boots or shoes of God's peace. We're going to look at the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and finally the sword of the Spirit. And piece by piece, we will look at it, we'll explore it, we'll better understand it, and we'll learn how to put it on in our life so that we can stand. We can stand firm. And so that when the battle is over, we will still be standing. And I love how Paul finishes Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. He says these words, and pray. And pray in the Spirit, which just means be led by God's Spirit as we pray. Pray in the Spirit on all times and on every occasion. Basically, he's saying, um, let's get praying. <laughs> and like always, in fact, he says that elsewhere in the scriptures in Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. Like, don't stop praying. Don't stop seeking God, asking God, praising God, leaning into God. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. He says, stay alert. Why? Elsewhere, he says these same words, stay alert, because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So, so Paul says to the Ephesians and says to us, so stay alert, pray, stay alert, be ready, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let's keep praying for each other, recognizing that we're in a battle. And so today, as we close our service, we want to share communion together. And hopefully when you came in, um, you received some communion elements. And if you did not, uh, just raise a hand and somebody from our team, they've got extras and they'd be happy to just bring that by for you. And you can get those elements ready. You can even pre-peel back the film there if you want. 
And as Paul challenged the Ephesians to pray, I'd just like us to kind of bow our heads. And I'd like to to give us some prayer prompts. So I'm just going to pray a few words. And then after each time, I'm just going to give you a moment to pause, to think, to pray in light of this battle that we are in. Would you pray with me? Lord, at the cross, you proved your love for me. The enemy tells me your love for me is conditional. But don't let me believe such a lie. Because I know that there is nothing that I can do to make you love me less or love me more. So we thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, we follow Paul's challenge, encouragement to pray. We are in a battle. And you went to battle for us. And it was at the cross you took our sin and you took our shame upon yourself. And the enemy, he's going to throw our sin and our shame into our face. He's called the accuser of the brethren. So God, would you fill our minds and hearts with your words from Scripture that there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. Because of what you did on the cross, Jesus, we can never be condemned if we put our faith in you. We thank you for that right now. And Lord, it's at the cross that we see your incredible determination to carry out your mission. And the enemy of our soul is angered that many of us in this room have put our faith in you. And he wants to lead us down a path of apathy and mediocrity. So help us to look at the cross and think about your sacrifice there, reflect on your passion so that we will finish well what you've started in our lives. And Lord, others in this room and Christians all over the globe today, they want what what every single one of us need. They They want and need wisdom and strength to follow you. And the enemy of our soul, he stands opposed to us. He's trying to get in between. So I pray that you would give all of those here and abroad that are in Christ your armor to be able to stand firm with courage against whatever we might be facing in this unseen realm where you are trying to make us strong, to give us something to stand upon. We stand upon the cross. We stand upon your sacrifice, Jesus. Amen. So if you peel back that first thin, clear layer, you come to a little wafer. It reminds us that Jesus took on a tangible physical body because he entered this physical tangible world so that he could be a sacrifice. 
He could physically feel the pain of sin and suffering. And his body was broken there on the cross. And he broke bread with his disciples and he said, this, this represents my body given for you. He said, do this and remember me. And if you peel back the foil layer, you come to the juice. Jesus used this as, a, as another symbol, a symbol of his blood. And he turned to his disciples and he shared a cup with them. And he said, this cup represents my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, guys, we can have victory. We can have victory over sin. We can have victory over the enemy of our souls, but only through the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. So let's do this in remembrance of him. Let's stand and let's echo these words. the Lord upon a tree in the stead of ruined sins hangs the lamb in victory see the price of our redemption see the Father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory
God, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. And we leave here in remembrance of that. God, help us to live out the resurrection. It's in your holy name that we say these things. Amen. Amen, church, you are dismissed. We'll see you next week.